You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club Track FM's local watering hole. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And unfortunately this week, um, Christy will not be able to be with us. Not because she doesn't want to be, but, well, her Crohn's disease is getting her a little bit down. So um, she will not be able to be here, but she plans to be here next week. We're very excited to have that happen. But... This week to help me do this episode on the 602 Club as we talk about, well, I would say the king of all monsters is Brandy. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm just so glad that you decided to come on to to talk about, you know, uh, Matthew Broderick's, you know, most famous role. Oh here. my gosh, and, I love yeah. this movie so much. So good. I mean, I, I who knew that this would be such a winner? Right? And I mean, you know, what could be better than back in the day and having those Taco Bell commercials uh, with uh, the Chihuahua and Godzilla? It was fantastic. Oh, you know, I totally had a cell phone exactly like he did in that movie. <laughs> Dude, awesome. I didn't even know that antenna extended <laughs> so until funny. I saw that movie. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we're just kidding, folks. We're not actually going to be talking about one of the worst movies that I saw as a kid back in 1998. Um, no, we're not going to be. Well, I wasn't a kid then. I was in college. But anyway, that's beside the point. We're actually going to be talking about Godzilla from 2014 uh, from Legendary Pictures, uh, directed by Gareth Edwards, who also is responsible for Rogue One. And so very excited to do that um, as we kind of kick off a little bit of um, a movie monster phase here on the 602 Club, which should be fun. Um, we'll be talking about this, uh, Kong Skull Island, and then getting back to Godzilla with King of Monsters, which is coming out here at the end of the month. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we do that, just a quick word. Of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, please do uh, help us out. Give us a star rating review. Uh, we will thank you on the show. We'll read out what you said. Um, make sure wherever you get your podcast, though, you're subscribed to the 602 Club, so you get it as soon as we drop it. You can find us on Twitter at Trek FM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And then you can find our listeners only discussion group on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. Now, if you type Babel into the search field on Facebook, you'll find us there. Or maybe you're on the website at Trek.fm, just kind of perusing all the podcasts we've got. And any of those show pages for the podcasts, there's a button that says discussion. If you hit that, that'll also let you into the Babel Conference. And then last but not least, don't hesitate to reach out to us anytime with an email at track.fm slash contact choose a show choose the 602 club and that will come to christy and i now brandy i was really interested about this fact because i think you know godzilla predates us all and so i was wondering kind of what your first experience with this king of monsters was and you know um was it some like love at first sight or um, did it take time to warm up? Well, for me, Godzilla is a lot like Star Trek in that I don't remember a time before Godzilla. Uh, when I was a kid, we didn't have cable TV. And so we had like four channels from which to choose. And the UHF channel was the one that was always playing the weird dubbed Japanese movies. And I just ate that stuff up. And if there was Godzilla on the screen, I was in. I loved Godzilla so much. And uh, even the, I even watched the very not good <laughs> cartoon version <laughs> with the most annoying theme song maybe ever. Yeah. Um, but I have just, in fact, I own several of the Godzilla movies myself from the going as far back from, I believe it was 1954, 
When the first I one? I think 1954 yeah. is the first time because it's about nine years after after Hiroshima. You know, yeah, Hiroshima. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so I have I have some I've I've like spanned the whole year. Um, one of my f- absolute favorites, which is one of the most totally ridiculous one, is Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. <laughs> so, but uh, but I have I have several, got quite a few, and uh, love them. You know, it's it's funny because I was like you, like a very much aware of Godzilla, and you know, part of that was you know many many kids are big into dinosaurs as a kid, and you know, Godzilla is basically just a big dinosaur, and so for me, loved that, and that really led me. I didn't, I, I you know, I saw bits and pieces of Godzilla movies here and there. But that actually made me, and I know everybody, you can laugh, but it made me very excited in 1998 when Godzilla was coming out. Because I was like, sweet, yes, so excited for this. You know, and we're finally going to get a big CGI extravaganza where Godzilla will finally look real. And then the movie is just really bad. The Godzilla design, they decide to try and change Godzilla's design for some reason. Because, yes, we're going to do it better. Um, Let's make it look like a giant Gila monster. It just, yeah, it, it's it's pretty awful. And, yeah, it's, it was just, it was so disappointing. It was one of the films that was one of the most disappointing for me in that, like, you know, high school, college era. Where it was just like... I can't imagine a film being that disappointing, you know, but it just, it was, um, the best part were the Taco Bell commercials. Um, so with the Chihuahua, lizard, lizard, lizard. Um, yeah. So, um, that, that kind of led me to when this movie came out to disregard it a little bit because of that experience and so for me i didn't see this one until later on i watched it uh at home and thoroughly enjoyed it i guess spoiler alert you know uh for the rest of the show um but no i i mean this one i i think it this one just to say it does everything the other one didn't you know like it it respects the canon and everything and so yeah, that's that was my experience to see this for the first time. Uh, did you see this one in the theater? I did, and I saw it actually pretty early on because my my knee jerk reaction when I uh, first heard that they were doing this was no, 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 no. Do not mess this up again. You've already screwed it up once. Do not mess this up again. But then I heard that they were doing it in conjunction with, you know, I believe it's is is it Toho pictures um that does all the godzilla movies in japan and i thought okay maybe it'll be okay and then i saw the first trailer and i'm like okay i have to see it i have to i have to and uh i also thoroughly enjoyed it i might have cried a few times (laughs) as as i am wont to do when i am enjoying something very much and i cried at surprisingly strange places in the film which we can talk about later. <laughs> well, and and you know, I think one of the things that was so interesting about this too, and one of the reasons I didn't see it, I you know, the late '90s were the the place where all of these disaster movies were coming oh, out, yes. and they're all awful, right? Mm-hmm. And and part of my re- reticence to see this is that it felt kind of like that in the trailers. And so I was like, oh, uh, this is just going to be one of those, you know, uh, the day after tomorrow or and all those kind of things. Yeah. And so um, I was very thankful, I think, that they didn't go in that direction. And, you know, for them reintroducing the character, giving us this reintroduction, um, I thought that the smartest thing that they did was that they introduce the character into our history so they tie it in with 1954 pretend as though it's real so that then they're trying to kill this alpha predator 
on an island, and that's what all the nuclear bomb testing actually is. It's not about testing bombs. It's about trying to kill this thing. And I felt like such a smart idea to really try and... It, it, it felt like they were just trying to make it real. You know, they were trying to make it fit within our universe, and I thought that was something that I really appreciated um, because I felt like it gave weight to this in a way that helped me kind of accept, you know, like you can put yourself, okay, this is a world, this is a universe where these, they exist, right? Just the same way we do, like, this is the superhero universe, you know? So um, I just thought that was really, really smart as a way to reintroduce this character in, in a way that's not winking at the camera, basically. Like I felt like the 98 version was. Yes, there was no winking. There was only, I mean, just the opening credits alone, gives you that moment to understand what is about to happen. And using stock footage, and I'm sure that they made some footage that was shot recently look really old, and they did a really good job with that. I love the credits with all the redacted information. I just thought, yes. Yeah, me too. Yes, this is what I wanted. You are taking this seriously instead of, you know, making fun of it. Because the original Godot was so serious. It was not, I mean, it's, it's, it was a metaphor for nuclear holocaust. And so to, to remove that element of it would have been a complete mistake. Luckily, uh, Gareth Edwards had no intention of doing that. And cause you got to have that, that same correlation between Godzilla and nuclear warfare. You just have to. Because Godzilla is there to fix the mistakes that we keep freaking making. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was something that was really good as well, is that obviously they kind of reference that, but they also use this. They have a couple of different themes that play throughout the movie yes. that are slightly more modern, yes. but they still play along with what we're talking about. And I think that was an, another really smart thing. Um, and... It's it was fascinating to me too because they they really like you said at the beginning of the movie does such a great job of setting everything up with the credits. You know, I love movies that really use the credits. Yes. Um Watchmen is very good at that about using the credits to tell an entire story of, you know, that first group of heroes. This is kind of telling that first story of of, you know, Godzilla's appearance and then, you know, um it jumps to 1999 where we get those uh, monarch scientists who uh find this uh underground layer of some kind of something like we don't even know what it is um and they don't even really they don't the, the best part about this movie is they don't like show you right away yes. as we're introducing all these things they gareth edwards is really smart in that and he even talked about this in the extras about and he felt like so many movies of the time period where it's like they just they overload you then they overload your senses by showing you everything all the time yes and this was not a movie that was going to do that and so even in 1999 we don't truly understand exactly what this is because we never actually see it we only see that it's whatever it was has hatched and it's left and then that story travels to japan where some of our main characters, um, we've got uh, Joe Brody and his wife Sandra, who are played by just the wonderful Brian Cranston and uh, Juliet Binoche. They work at a, a nuclear plant there in Japan, uh, and there are some tremors that are going off the radar, basically, just like off the off the charts. Uh, and in all of it, the plant ends up collapsing and we get the feeling like it's this whatever it was that it went from the Philippines to there pretty quickly. Um, and it really sets off another chain reaction because it kind of introduces us to this main family who we're going to see through their eyes everything else that happens in the rest of the film, which such a good introduction because the movie isn't so much about Godzilla it's more about the impact that these these massive creatures have on people that we're following. And so I thought that was the other smart thing is this movie's not about Mutos. 
or Godzilla. It's more about family and the impact that that's just it's such a great idea. Otherwise, it is just kind of a monster movie. And, you know, who doesn't you you to make us care is a really important thing. Otherwise, it's just a CGI fest, and that's boring. Yeah, that is boring. And that was a conscious choice by Gareth Edwards. He was not going to throw everything at you visually. He wanted moments to breathe. He wanted us to get to know these characters. There's a lot of emotion going on in this film that you don't typically get in a monster movie. And I wouldn't actually classify this even as a monster movie. It's a movie with monsters in it, yeah. Uh, I also think that it was a very smart idea to not use a known Godzilla uh, anti-hero or anti-kaiju, which whatever Godzilla is going to be fighting. This was something we've never really seen before. And that works better because now you're just, you're like expecting something. Oh, it's going to be Mothra or something like that. Nope. It was something we've never seen before. Just a massive unidentified terrestrial uh, organism that wasn't terrestrial for very long. <laughs> but I just, I appreciated that actually, because now I'm curious. I want to know how they're going to defeat this thing. And what abilities does it have? And what does it want? And where is it going? And we get to follow that mystery too. But it's it's more, it's about the people. That's the core of the story is it's about the people. It's about Sarazawa. It's about uh, Ford. It's about uh, L. It's about every, I mean, all of these people have very important parts to play in the story and c to connect us with this story. And that's the thing I love the most. The thing that I really like, too, is that you start with such an emotional scene then yes. when you're at the plant and you get Cranston, you know, his character Joe having to sacrifice his wife and all, I mean, you know, all those other people who are his friends. Mm -hmm. So, and and he he has to sacrifice their lives and, and as those doors close so he can't even see through the window anymore, it's just such a heartbreaking scene. And on top of that, you know, the next person we see is his son grown up. So we realize that the impact that this has had has been one that's kind of broken a family apart, you know. Um, and so I, I just really appreciated the fact that we start with a place that puts us in such an emotional state so that we are kind of. I don't know. Part of me is is just might sound weird, but part of me is so much more interested than in where they're going to go, as compared to, um, you know, when Godzilla shows up. You know, that's a I think that's a really strong thing for me is that in all of this reintroduction and bringing back these characters, right? Um, I feel just as invested in you know, these characters as much as I do monsters battling, which is which is great because they leave me wanting both, right? And I think that's the smart thing is, is this movie uh, is walking that line to give us characterization that's, that matters in the movie, but also uh, to, to, to keep wetting our appetite throughout the film, waiting for the big monster mash, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I th I think, I don't know if they understood how people were going to respond so strongly to Joe Brody. And so, but maybe they did. And that's why when he dies, you're just like, oh, hell no. It's just, it's just rips your heart out. They just keep ripping your heart out every so often with this movie, which is, I'm not complaining about that, because if you are making me feel like you're ripping my heart out, then you are doing your job. You are connecting with me on an emotional level, which is not something blockbuster movies tend to do. And I just, I loved that. I love, I love Brian Cranston anyway. I mean, who doesn't love Brian Cranston? But I just, I love the tiny moments too. Like where, when he and his wife are in the car and she's telling him that, you know, Ford made a sign for his birthday and then he's talking to her it's like when we get there you just don't even come up you just take a team and go down and, and see what's going on and uh, you know they're talking and then she says happy birthday 
and she he's like oh what yeah. it, oh, it's, it's it's my birthday and that's just one of those wonderful personal moments that just says so much about their relationship without us having to see their entire history i love and this and this movie is full of those little moments i love it so much yeah well and all of this takes place in the introduction yeah you know yeah. um to to set up the rest of the movie and you know, I thought it was really interesting that to bring us kind of into the present, the, what we get is that, you know, Joe coming back from being um, on deployment, uh, he is a Navy uh, explosive specialist, and his dad, I mean, the night he gets home uh, and he's spending time with his wife and his kid, um, doesn't even get any loving. Uh, has to traps <laughs> traips off to uh, <laughs> to Japan to pick up his dad from the consulate, who's broken the um, the quarantine zone where the the plant had collapsed has been turned into a quarantine zone, and that really starts us off on the whole rest of the movie. Which, again, you know, uh, I thought it was just very smart to to you've got this whole human connection because then on top of that human connection, the other human connection um, is um, you've got uh, Dr. Shiro and his partner who have been following this thing that escaped from the Philippines. Then they follow it there and, and we all end up at the same place where we realize oh, this is some sort of weird crystallous egg of something that we don't even know what it is just yet, which just such a great way to put all these characters together and they don't even realize that they're together, mm -hmm. which is so much fun. Yeah, I I love that too. Everything comes back to that power plant and everybody ends up there because Ford does give in to his dad and go back because his dad makes a compelling argument. Joe does have facts on his side, which Ford just doesn't want to listen to because he's just written off his dad as crazy, which we know he's not. And so it's really hard to see Ford treat his dad that way because we know he's not crazy. We were there. <laughs> I mean, we didn't see exactly what happened, but we know something is going on and it wasn't a, a catastrophe with one of the reactors. And so he's just got this burning need to prove that he was right because he was the one who sent his wife down there. And he feels like he's got to know why she died. And that is fair. I mean, anyone would feel that way. So, but, and and that whole thing leads us to the reactor and now we got a big old gross looking egg sitting in the middle of that big pit around all the reactors and let the fun begin i think that is the thing that really connects the movie because you know as much and as great as it is to have a really cool you know action movie with you know big monsters that are going to find each other i think that the human side of this is really what makes things work. Mm -hmm. And part of that was for the most part, I think the cast is really strong. Yes. And like you mentioned, you know, Brian Cranston, I think uh, his character, Joe, we, we have a character uh, that we really appreciate. We really like, you know, um, we already kind of gravitate towards uh, as, as a person. And what's fascinating to me is, He's not even in the movie very much, but he's so affected in the parts that he is. And when we lose him, too, I think it does this thing where, and, and obviously they don't really play with this much, but it, it does make you think, okay, anybody could die. Mm -hmm. If we're going to kill Brian Cranston, anybody's game here, which I thought was also a very smart move for them because otherwise the rest of the movie you wouldn't be worried about anybody but truly the first time you see this movie i do think you kind of worry about everyone because you're like oh well i mean if you're going to kill the lead of the film i guess you could really kill anybody at this point oh yeah i felt like nobody was off limits and so i had no idea if any if anyone that we've seen so far was going to make it to the end of the film any of these main characters and i like the not knowing and also, just totally random, one thing I really appreciate is that no time 
Does anyone use the phrase once and for all? I hate that phrase so much. It is so overused in dramatic situations. And anytime somebody says that, it just takes me out of the reality. But you never hear that. You hear whatever it takes. And that is so much better than once and for all. I think the thing that they did the best was to put probably the best actor in the film, the one that we we are most connected to mm-hmm. at the beginning. And in the and again, I think the way that that Cranston sells the emotional moments that he has really connect us to everything that's going to come before that. And it is a little bit sad, honestly, that he dies so quickly because I kind of missed that throughout the rest of the movie in some ways. But I do think he he sets up the the rest of the film. And, and when he dies, in many ways, you know, you're making that switch from being a more emotionally driven film to the, the more of the action, which is great. Um, but I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great casting job. I thought that was really, really smart. And so um, I was interested, too, because, you know, I'm not super familiar with a- Aaron Taylor Johnson because he's been in, I mean, he's been on things, you know, he was in, um, well... He and Elizabeth Olsen were brother and sister uh, the last time I'd really seen them on screen. Um, and that was an Ultron, yep. so it's a little awkward. Um, I, I actually so, did, ended up not finding it awkward. I thought they pulled it off well enough that I'm just like, no, I believe your they brother do. and sister. I'm, I'm good with yeah, it. Yeah, no, they, they, they do play brother and sister well. Um, it was weird to go back and then watch them in this because I, I saw the reverse. Yeah, so. and it didn't bother me. I'm just like, yeah, I yeah. know. I know. Because th- actually, this movie was the first time I ever saw Elizabeth Olsen. And, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes and sense. And I was yeah. extremely impressed with her and thought, who is this chick? Had no idea she was of the Olsons. And, though, you know, looking at her I now. I didn't know that till much later yeah, either. I, look, looking so at her now, I'm alone. like, how could I have not thought that? But I'm just like, she's <laughs> really good. <laughs> she is a really good actress. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think, I think... I think Aaron Taylor Johnson is good in the role, but when I they they apparently had offered the role to like Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Henry Cavill, um, I might have liked one of those above him because I think they're better actors. Mm-hmm. But I think he he does what he's asked to do well, and I think by that point, I'm not as invested in him as a character so much as I am everything that's going on. So it doesn't pull away from the movie for me. The fact that he isn't like a standout, you know, like that, which is a really good thing. Yeah. Well, he's, he's our avatar really for what's going on. And to be fair, he doesn't get any time to process anything that's happening. True. That's very true. No time whatsoever. (laughs) It's like dad's dead. Hey, giant monster. Hey, we're putting you on a chopper to Hawaii. Get on this flight. Big monster attack. Okay, let's fight monsters now. Gotta find this lost kid's parents. And just, uh, it's just. Oh, and your, your family might yeah. die because they're heading towards your home. Yeah, and you can't get to your home. Uh, it's just like one after the other, after the other, after the other. All these things. He doesn't have time to even stop and breathe. I think the most time he gets to stop and think about anything is when he's on that plane to skydive into the city. Which, by the way, shout out to that 2001 Space Odyssey music that they borrowed. I think I think you're right. You know, one of the things that they do at that point is you're kind of flowing more as a point of view than necessarily as like a full-fledged character Mm -hmm. maybe and that's not really his fault and what i I thought was great is that like we were talking about elizabeth olsen and i do think that she's really good in the movie and honestly she becomes the avatar for emotion then throughout the rest of the film more so than aaron taylor johnson and I think she pulls that off because obviously, you know, she's worried about her son. She's worried about whether she's going to live and she's worried about her husband and the rest of the people she's trying to help because she's a nurse. And so, like, she has so much going on. And I think um, I'm I become actually much more invested in her as a character, which is great because I really like Elizabeth Olsen. And I think, um, you know, I have enjoyed her, obviously, in the Marvel films. 
but I think here she gets some places to to shine a little bit, um, mainly because she becomes our our emotional key for most of the rest of the movie. Yes, um, and I she I think she does it well. Like they they put it in the, in good hands. So like Allstate. <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen <laughs> is all state. Um, She's like a good neighbor. Yeah. No, that's, one, state, that's farm. state Farm. Yeah. Don't get those yeah, two mixed I can't, up. I can't. I get them all confused. Yeah. No, anyway. I, yeah, I, she has so many great moments. Like when they find, like they've been trying to call each other. They keep missing each other. And they find, he finally gets in touch with her uh, by phone when she's at work. And you know, she's just like, she's trying so hard to hold it together and she's talking to him and she's, and you know, he's trying to, to tell her and she's like, how are you doing? Are you okay? Are you okay? And she's asking him if he's okay when she's not okay, because that is what you do. You have more concern for your partner than you're just like, I can handle myself. I need to know if you're okay. And I just, I loved that moment right. and I was feeling it. And that was one of the moments where I cried. I got, I got all teary because I could just feel everything she was sending out. It was just, it's just, again, a small character moment. But for me, it was just, it spoke volumes. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I mean, all, I, I think, again, all, all that she gets to do emotionally really kind of brings us through the rest of the movie from the emotional standpoint, which is fantastic. You know, we want that. Um, you know, I, you can't get a better person than Ken Watanabe. Oh, I love uh, Ken Watanabe. To play anyone. And he is really good in this movie. And, and, you know, his role is actually smaller than I thought it would be after like kind of seeing the trailers and stuff that he was going to be in this and everything. But I really like that. You know, he's the the person, the scientist who's just kind of figured out the key to all of this, which is that it this is this is necessary. Like these beings are here um, for a reason. You know, it's not just random happenstance that there is an alpha predator to make sure that um, these kind of creatures are taken care of, um, and so. The fact that he's he's so much on the side of Godzilla of saying you need to just let them fight this out and he'll leave, like he's not here for us. He's here to set order right on our planet, which is just such a cool place to be, and it just creates a really interesting sense where you know many movies in Godzilla's past he's either a villain or a hero. Here he's not really either. He's just a part of the natural flow of our created order. Right. Yes. You know, and I really, I like that, that there's a sense of, there is kind of a sense of created order we get from, um, Dr. Yashiro. Uh, and that we need to let Godzilla do the job that he's here to do. Um, because it, we can't do it obviously. So I, he, even though he doesn't get a lot to do, I think it's Ken Watanabe. He's he brings all the gravitas you need to that role. Oh yeah, he absolutely does. And and I love when they're they're actually showing forward the the films of Godzilla and yes. explaining what's been going on all of this time. And he actually says the name that they gave it, which is Gojira. Which in Japanese pronunciation sounds Gojira. Not the R isn't hard. It sounds more like an L. It's somewhere in between an R and an L. And so everybody hears that, but they're like, oh, Godzilla. It's like, yeah, that's typical American. That is absolutely typical American. <laughs> so they just, everybody else just, even though he continues to say Gojira, everybody else says Godzilla. And it just makes me laugh because that's so typical. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because this isn't on the outline, but. You know, in many ways, Godzilla represents the thing that we can't control and is out of our control and is kind of godlike. Yes. You know, and so there is that kind of um, almost metaphysical representation so that his name, as we know it in English, Godzilla, king, you know, like god of monsters, um, has a real 
you know, it has a real philosophical meaning to it in a movie like this. And I think that that's something that's kind of smart about this film. They play with that actually thematically Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, And yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously we Americans, we just call things what we want to call them. Yes. Or what it sounds like to us. No respect Um, for the culture or pronunciation. (laughs) I don't know if I could have pronounced that more than one time, but um you know, um, I think it's interesting because the movie is kind of filled with other people that I know, like Juliette Binoche, uh, Sally Hawkins, and you've got Sally Hawkins and David Strathairn. Oh, I love him. But <laughs> and he's great. But I do think what's also fascinating about this as well is that their roles aren't very big, so they just kind of bring a persona to the role. So you kind of, uh, you automatically kind of feel who they are and where they are. They're not going to be given tons of characterization or anything, but I think, you know, it's kind of one of those things that you do. It's like, why do you cast, um, Russell Crowe in man of steel, right? He's only going to be on screen for maybe 10 minutes at most, but you want somebody to bring a presence, you know, that you um, immediately know what who and what that person is just by who you've cast and i think they do that with these characters and it's one of the things that makes this movie really stand out to me because they've cast people that i really like and appreciate but i don't need them to have like the the world's you know best character arc or anything they just really bring that character to life in a way that makes me pay attention when they're on screen and that's important yes it is and it's 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 like a story it's a story that we're watching, yes, but it's very realistic in that there are going to be people moving in and out of every story, especially in real life. You don't always have the same characters in every story every day. And this movie demonstrates that these characters are still memorable, again, like what you said, because people bring the actors bring a certain gravitas to it, but we're okay. We don't need to know everything about these characters because we know enough for them to fulfill their part of the story. And they're not shallow. They're not just, Oh, I'm just here to move the plot forward. They, you know, they have a purpose, every single one of them. And I feel like nothing is wasted in the film. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really good point. It's like all of these characters are there and they're important to the story, but there's there's not a there's nothing really extraneous here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they were able to find a way to hone the story um and and create one where you know, um this movie I think is like 2 hours and like 3 minutes long, yep. so it's not overly long, so they just they found a way to effectively um and um creatively tell the story in a way that everything fits together well um, and you don't feel like you're running on a lot of tangents which is really important in a movie like this because you never want to like you don't want to get you don't want to have anybody in the audience get bored yes and and they never give you an opportunity ever to get bored in this movie because the plot is always moving forward and the characters are always driving you forward with the story and I think that's just a really smart thing. Um, and a part of that comes from the fact that we're using the drama of the family and what it's, and we're seeing things through their eyes. Um, and then the other part of that is that I think, you know, even in um, the thematic element, like um, this, this kind of idea of, of uh, fighting nature, which I thought was really interesting because the doctor says you know the arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control and not the other way around and i really found this to ring so true because in many ways we talk about i think i think you've been on plenty of episodes where we've kind of talked about where the key to the villain was that they're basically trying to be god and we're not supposed to be god right, right. um and uh we make ourselves gods and 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 we kind of like um try to to control everything around us in this movie in a funny way puts humanity in perspective by showing us the Godzilla. And when you put us in perspective with him, it's easy to see who wins, you know, who's really in control, right? Um, And I really appreciated that because I think it brings us back 
to kind of putting more of a right order of things, um, that we aren't really in control of everything in the universe. In fact, we're in control of very little in the universe, if anything. So little. Um, and I just thought that was a really um, smart thing because that plays into that kind of theme plays perfectly into the original themes of the original Godzilla of dealing with the aftermath of, um, you know, a, a nuclear holocaust after what people did to other people, mm-hmm. right? So I th- I think that theme of, of control and basically playing that kind of God, we see that here. And this movie truly puts us, like, one of the things I thought was so cool is that, and Gareth Edwards talked about this, is that almost every time you see one of the monsters, they're in perspective with a human being. Yes. So we understand the size of what we're dealing oh, with. Yes. And... Again, it's all about perspective. And I thought that was really, really smart of him. Like, you can really tell that Gareth Edwards and the writers had put a lot of thought into what they wanted this movie to do and what they wanted it to say. And I think what it's saying here is is something we really, truly need to hear. We're not in control of nature. And we need to stop trying to be in control of nature in the way we are and conform it to our will because it's never going to do that. It's nature. It just is what it is created to be, which is not us in control of it. Mm -hmm. And it's made very obvious at pretty much every turn of them trying to stop these mutos. Because for all of our technology and all of our weapons and all of our knowledge, we can do nothing. Nothing. We'll kill these things. Nothing! So, except... I don't know. Top of the primordial food chain, anyone? Yes. So Godzilla is the embodiment of basically nature. He's the god of nature. And he's going to, he's like, okay, you guys were doing stupid stuff and you awoke this thing. Now I'm going to take care of it. You're welcome. So yeah, he's uh, he's just going to do what he's going to do. And that's all there is to it because he has to balance the scales yeah i think you know the the idea of us trying to basically change nature you know Mm -hmm. is is what we kind of see happening here um and and it changed the order of nature like it's created this way and we try to change it in a way that is not good um, and it results in something like this happen, like you said. You, you, oh, you woke up the beast. Well, now you have to have the other beasts to come and fix it. You know, um, and it, it, again, I think it 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 helps us find a way to put ourselves in perspective and make sure that we kind of hopefully, you know, think about our impact and what we do, our actions, how they play out. Um, and all of those things, because that's really the other thing that the movie is about. It's not just fighting nature, but it's also about the choices we make and the consequences they lead to, um, and then having to live with those consequences. And one of the consequences in this movie, <laughs> luckily, this doesn't happen in real life. Um, but you know, we end up living with kaiju. So yeah, yeah. Well, it, the the stark reality of it is in our own reality, and not this movie reality, is that. If nature wanted us off this planet, it could do it. It could make us extinct faster than we can possibly imagine. And I hope it doesn't come to that. I want to get to that Star Trek future. But that's the thing. We cannot fight nature. We think we can. But every time we try something like, say, splitting the atom... Yes, there were good things that came of that, but there were so many horrible things that came from that and are still coming from that and may yet still come from that. Like just on top of that, you know, there's a difference between trying to control something and and be a good steward of something. Exactly. And I think, you know, you know, obviously uh when you think uh judeo-christian values wise that's the first commandment in scripture is to take care of the planet Mm -hmm. right so and to be a good steward of it not to dominate it but to 
be a good steward of what's been given. And I think that there's a huge difference in that. And so that's kind of what I think this movie plays at a little bit as well. Are we really stewarding the planet we've been given or are we, um, are we not? And what happens when we don't? What con- what are the consequences of that? And then there are massive consequences for, you know, not doing that well, you know. And so I think that's something that I really appreciate about movies like this is they just kind of make you think about those things and, and again, put it in perspective. And those perspectives are so important for us to be able to think about because, you know, I think we kind of live in a world that's lost all perspective on just about everything. Yep especially when it comes to science and nature um, and trying to control it in ways that it could never be controlled uh, or change it in ways that we want it to fit to. And it's just, you know, we'll pay the consequences for that one day. So hopefully not with Kaiju, but you know, it's not my first choice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Really not. I don't know. I might want to, who doesn't want a pet Godzilla? Good Godzilla. Oh, I want to pet him. I want to get up right up close to his nostril, but then that could be dangerous if he inhales. Could go right up That's in there. That's true. That's true. Sucked right yeah, into his nose. Yeah. Mm. Man, nothing like Godzilla bones. Oh, this is something I thought about as a child. That's not a new concept to me. <laughs> well, so obviously, in a movie like this, the monster fights are going to be very important. And, you know, we kind of talked about how Edwards keeps Godzilla hidden for a long while, um, you know, kind of doing silhouettes or only seeing it from the ground. And, and, you know, even the first time you really see the fight, it's on TV, you know, so you're not really seeing the fight. Um, What did you end up thinking about? The, you know, the battle that we finally end up getting there when we get to San Francisco and, you know, he's going at it with these mutos. Did it live up to your expectations that the film was kind of setting up throughout the whole thing? Uh, it did, because, you know, I I don't need to have constant monster battles. That's not something that I'm into. I need a breather. And it was very interesting because he's he's fighting a war on two fronts at the moment because he's got the male and the female Mutos, and that female is big. Oh, she's big. I did not... I know that they were like, oh, she's bigger. And then when you actually see her in comparison to the male, you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, she's as big as Godzilla. And so watching that fight and watching the back and forth and the tactics that they use to try and bring him down and... This this is one of my favorite moments in the movie, uh, because Brody has just destroyed all of the eggs of the female, which were a lot. If if those eggs had hatched, yeah, that was a yeah, lot. Of, that was that was creepy. That was so wrong. It's like okay, if those hatch, we're gone. We are gone. Humanity is dead, and uh, he takes it upon himself to destroy her nest. And uh, and another thing, I really loved the sounds of these Mutos. They were just so weird and alien and yet communicated everything you needed to know about them. And the sounds that she makes when she realizes her nest is on fire, it was just like, wow. And the, the sounds she makes when she's looking down and she sees her eggs are all dead. And this uh, is just the sound of mourning. And I'm like, I almost feel bad for her for a second, you know, except that she's, you know, trying to destroy the world. And, uh, you know, then she she hears Brody make a noise. And so she just, oh, you're the one. And right as she's about to eat him, I'm pretty sure, you see this blue glow. And I'm like, this is one of those moments when I got super emotional <laughs> because of all the things I wanted to see. And this is not the official term for it. I just wanted to see that atomic fire breath. Just give me that atomic fire breath once. And I swear I'll love you forever. And so you see that and you see it growing up. And I'm like, yes, yes. And I'm just like crying in the theater <laughs> because I wanted that so much. And they gave it to me. And it was as awesome as I had hoped and dreamed. Yeah. So, well, I mean, yeah, when he like grabs that last Muto and rips open its jaws and just breathes fire down its neck to its face comes off of its neck. uh, Yeah, it's pretty awesome. You know, I think the thing that's so effective here is that 
I, I when we were saying it before in the last segment, but I think it's so true. It's all about the way they show perspective with these fights. So, you know, we know what skyscrapers in San Francisco size-wise feel like, right, with size. And so we get a real sense of of the size of these creatures and their battle. Um, but it, it just looks really good. I mean, the way that they have, you know, they so smartly have this fight kind of happen in this haze and this darkness only lit by, you know, the lights of the city and the fires that are going on. Mm. And it just creates the perfect atmosphere to have this type of battle. And I mean, just even the, the rest of the, the effects with um, Godzilla, you know, when he first comes to San Francisco, yes. you know, and he's right there at the golden yes. gate bridge and all of that. And, you know, then he breaks the golden gate bridge and, you know, uh, or when he's like, swimming and he like swims and these boats just kind of get like pushed out of the way and I'd like all of it it's just it was so well done they really put a lot of thought into everything here and I think the most successful thing was is that they realized that they needed to pay homage to Godzilla as a character and they made him look as realistic as possible but they still kept the feel of those original films so yes fully cgi incredibly detailed but the look of the character looks right you almost feel like okay this is what he always looked like you know this is what it was meant to be um and i think that's the smart thing that they really do here and it just makes for I mean, if you're gonna do a disaster type movie, this this is the way to go. Um, so I really loved it. Yeah, I I love. I actually really like the Golden Gate Bridge scene. I have been to San Francisco many times, and so I am familiar with its layout. Walked across the Golden Gate Bridge, all of those things, and. Uh, when you know you see the the mayor of the town saying everybody get you know BART stations or or you know shelters and I'm like I've been on the Bay Area Rapid Transit <laughs> that's you know just all these things like I've been there but uh, I love when he shows up at the Golden Gate Bridge and you know he just comes out of the water and he actually prevents a bus a you know that busload of kids on which is Ford's son from being destroyed by ridiculous stupid fire from the ocean. It's like, why would you open fire on a bridge that still has civilians on it? What is wrong with you? And so he inadvertently saves them, and then they're not they're they're all attacking, and Godzilla is basically just like, What are you doing? I have a job to do. And then he's just finally like, screw this, and just walks through the bridge. <laughs> it's just Yeah, it's like pushes. Yeah, it's just like for, forget you. I've got things to do. I don't have time for this. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a great job. Yeah. I mean, because I, I think one of the things that they end up doing is is they they found a way to give characterization to the character of Godzilla. Yes. And they do it in a way that doesn't really anthropomorphize no. him, but it just makes him believable as a creature. And I think that was really, really smart. So, And of course, you know, with the monster fight, you get that amazing halo jump. And, and I think... You know, it's interesting because when you watch this movie and then you like watch um, Rogue One, Gareth Edwards has a very strong sense of visual. Yes. He's a very visual director. And I think he was the perfect choice for this movie. He really created something I think that is uh, stunning visually, but it wasn't just a visual feast. He allowed you to connect with the movie on a more human level, which is really what brings this up to the you know um a higher plane which is really important because it could have just been a great monster mash but instead it's really something that um yeah it just feels better than that which is i mean when you go into a movie like this you don't know what to expect mm -hmm. um and I don't know if Godzilla King of Monsters is going to be able to live up to this because I think they've set the bar pretty high when it comes to these kind of films so really interested to see where that goes um but 
makes me wonder, what do you rate this, Brandy? Like, <laughs> wh- where does this rate for you, do you think? Uh, let's see. I would say that this, for me, you know, being a, uh, having been a Godzilla fan all of my life and being so bitterly disappointed by the 90s version, this was everything I wanted in a, I wouldn't even say reboot so much as a reimagination because they are they are giving props to what came before, as especially the origin of the character. So I don't feel like it's a full on reboot because this they're basically saying, "No, this is the same Godzilla," and so it it was important to me. I love the movie. I own the movie. I have watched it several times. I always get goosebumps when that atomic fire breath starts, and I always cry at the end when Godzilla wakes up from his nap. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm just like oh come on you gotta wake up you gotta wake up you you're gonna wake up and I was just waiting for it and then it happens he's just tired yep he's just tired he just had a huge yeah. battle you know you just need a little rest Even, you know a little nappy nap and he, gosh anyone would want to rest after that he's he's got a lot of wounds <laughs> so and he earned it come totally on. earned it so I I would give this five out of five Bart station shelters because I think it was it's it still is one of my favorite Godzilla movies and I have a lot of Godzilla movies so yeah you know for me re-watching this one I was I was I mean I I liked it ever since I saw it but it it actually moved up a star for me I think this is four out of five. Um, Halo jumps nice. for me. This, it's just a, it's a strong movie. It's really enjoyable. Um, they do a good job of, like we talked about with the emotion. They give you some nice thematic elements to go along with it that don't just feel forced, but they feel very organic to the story. Uh, and they create a movie that does live up to what you want when it comes to just the a monster fight. Uh, you know, they give you that too. And I think all of those things together creates a, a movie that kind of exceeds what you would expect from a, this type of film. And that's really good. You know, I mean, I think at most you expect going into a movie like this thinking, eh, it'd probably be like a 2.5, maybe a 3, you know. Um, so I think the fact that it really finds a way to kind of raise the bar helps a lot. So, I, I mean... Yeah, for me, this is a really fun movie. I really enjoy it. And, you know, I, I hope uh, people will enjoy us kind of talking through some of the other ones that kind of flow in the continuity of this because uh, we've got um, Kong Skull Island, which is also a part of the same continuity, uh, and then Godzilla King of Monsters, which is part of this continuity. And I think the last one they might be doing is Kong versus. Godzilla, yeah, Godzilla maybe? versus Kong is coming in 2020, I believe in March of 2020, last I heard. So, yeah, that'll be fun to, to see, too, um, especially since the Kong that they created is, you know, like the biggest Kong ever. So, so big. So big. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's huge. So, really glad, though, we got a chance to talk about this one. It, it really, I mean, if it's not a movie that you've seen, I, I do encourage, go rent it. Go, I mean, you can find the Blu-ray for like eight bucks places. So, I mean, it's it's worth checking out. I think you'll have a blast. Really appreciate our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Wyamalet, and Daniel Noah for supporting the show and helping make sure that everything here on this uh, Trek FM network keeps coming to you each and every week, plus the 602 Club. Um, now, this is a very big network. We've got a lot of shows coming out each and every week and absolutely can't do it alone. So we really do ask you to um, give your support to the network. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash trekfm. We have some great contribution levels that give you even extra perks. But honestly, every little bit helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Brandy, People want to catch up with you, maybe talk a little kaiju talk. Where can people find Ooh, you? I'm always happy to talk about kaiju. I love me some kaiju. You can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12. You can find me often lurking in the Babel Conference. Not as much as I would like, but sometimes. And uh, you can hear me uh, intermittently on the Twilight Zone podcast, which you can find at thetwilightzonepodcast.com. I will be on another episode before the new Twilight Zone uh, season one ends. I will be on the ninth episode for that one. 
and uh, come over to the Dark Corner Podcast at darkcornerpodcast.com. And uh, if you want to hear my views on absolutely everything else that I like, uh, kind of from a dark, darker perspective, which I do with my fabulous husband of, oh gosh, 21 and a half years now. My husband, Dave. Shout out to you, Dave. And also shout out to Christy. I hope you feel better soon. I missed you on this podcast. Yeah, I am really sorry that Christy couldn't be here because I know her and her husband are big fans of Godzilla. Um, So it'll be fun to be able to have her on uh, as we talk about uh, Kong Skull Island and then, of course, talk about Godzilla King of Monsters coming up as well. So um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd under the Amazing 2 uh, I'm here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is called Outpost, and I do that with Dre Kaufman. We talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. Uh, you can also find me over there doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills talking about Star Wars each and every week. And then last but not least, you can find me over doing cinema stories with my good friend Courtney, and that's where we talk about films, but through the lens of faith. Now, we want to say thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? (laughs) ¶¶